The contributors to this podcast come from a broad array of cultural contexts, whether it's their diverse ethnic backgrounds. So I'm an um, African-Caribbean Brit. That's how I describe myself. I was actually born in uh, Ankara in Turkey. We were initially um, part of the boat people in the 1979. The first uh, group of boat people that came over from Vietnam. Variations in belief systems. We were both brought up in the same Methodist church. Once you're Catholic, you're Catholic. Because, you know, it's, uh, it's all around you. Or simply differences in gender. 13% of men are going to end up with prostate cancer. That isn't necessarily what's going to kill them, but they're going to have it at some time in their lives. Cancer patients come in all shapes and sizes. Regardless of your beliefs, origins or orientation, there's nothing your cancer teams can't discuss and nothing about you that they don't want to know, if it might help your care. But it's important to acknowledge that although cancer doesn't discriminate, cancer care isn't always equal. Many personal and cultural factors can impact your cancer journey, as our contributors describe in this episode. You'll hear from patients who face various barriers in their care journey. These can include language, gender and class, to name a few. You'll hear how their various backgrounds and identities affected how they responded to their diagnoses impacting how they initially felt about communicating their condition. In many cases, doing so provided sources of comfort and strength when they were at their lowest ebb. Now What? Your Cancer Support podcast is an NHS podcast series where you'll hear frank and honest accounts from over a dozen cancer patients about their experiences with a disease that at some point, directly or indirectly, affects us all. Consider them your peer support network. I'm your host, Julia Bradbury. In 2021, I became one of the 375,000 people who are diagnosed with cancer in the UK every year. I know firsthand what it's like to have your life suddenly upended by this disease and the havoc it can wreak on your body, mind and everything in between. I also know that with a little bit of luck and a lot of expertise, that surviving cancer isn't just possible, it's becoming more and more likely with every passing year. If you're listening to this podcast, it's likely that you or someone you love has recently received a cancer diagnosis. No doubt you've got questions, and lots of them. Our hope is that this series can provide you with some answers. Our peers come from a wide variety of backgrounds. One thing that they all have in common? First-hand experience with cancer in its many shapes and forms. So think of us as your cancer support group, just in audio form. Today's topic of discussion, cultural perspectives on cancer. We should set out at the beginning by stating the obvious. No culture is a monolith. The people you'll hear from today are simply relaying their own personal experiences and, of course, aren't speaking on behalf of anyone other than themselves. Where we draw strength and peace from is a very personal thing. For many people, that's where their faith comes in. This was certainly the case for Brian. The religious community in Kent, where he and his wife are practicing Methodists, 
has been a vital source of support since he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer back in 2018. People at the church I go to have been very motivating with their prayers and good wishes. And I mean, I'm not going to start preaching, but I will say that I think having faith does help to pull you through these type of things. And um, having the, as I say, the support and prayers of uh, other friends from church uh, has made a, a considerable difference to um, the approach I have. Religion has played a role in the cancer journey of several of our contributors, but cancer can shake even the strongest foundations. I think at one point I was actually heartbroken. You know where you feel like, you know, your heart has been trampled upon and, and uh, being a Christian, you start to question your faith. For Vimbai, during the moment of deepest crisis, tapping back into the wider cancer support community, where she has both sought advice and offered pearls of her own wisdom to countless others, was her way of finding peace. So for me at the moment, I, uh, the way I comfort myself is, you know, working with these hospitals to develop these things that will help other patients uh, with their cancer journey, trying to help uh, inform, you know, the, how we can shape, you know, the cancer service and, you know, all those journey, the small steps patients take when they are waiting, the support, you know, the, the signposting and, and even just, you know, listening to somebody who has gone through what you're about to go through. It's, it's got a way of making you, you know, like, oh, okay. Oh, this is what's going to happen. Well, the, this person dealt it with like this. Well, yeah, I know I can do this. Our backgrounds, where we're from and the values we're raised with can play into our cancer journey in any number of ways. We set out on a boat and uh, with three other boats and they all capsized at different times. And we were in the sea for uh, several days uh, and we were picked up by a merchant ship, uh, a British merchant ship. And we were very, very lucky um, and taken to Hong Kong where they put us into a camp. And from there, after a couple of months, uh, dispersed us to the UK by our flight. So that's how I ended up here with my aunt, my cousin and my dad as refugees. For Chi, who undertook that treacherous journey when she was just four years old, her upbringing played a huge role in her approach to life. I think life, you know, especially when you're young, uh, life gets in the way and um, you're so ingrained with, especially in my culture where, you know, you've, you've been taught to get in a good education, get a good job, work your way up, have a boyfriend, get a family. And that's the way it is. The same resilience that was instilled in Chi by her family and personal experiences made it hard to be vulnerable when talking to her parents particularly as they'd already shouldered the burden of supporting one of their other children, Chi's sister, through a cancer diagnosis of her own. I've always been one of those people that keeps everything in and keep everything to myself. So I didn't feel as though I was able to like cry out or, you know, get emotional or, you know, I didn't know what to do, to tell you the truth. You know, on the way back home on the bus, it was... How am I going to tell my parent? How am I going to tell my mum? You know, and I, 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 even to this day, I didn't tell her because I, I said to my sister, please, can you tell her? Because I can't tell her. 
you know and I just went you know so when I got home and mum go oh how's your hospital and I went um not good but I let you know my sister tell you you know so you know and I just went upstairs and just sat down and just go oh shit you know and that and that was it really and and then you know half an hour later you know I went down and you know talked to my mom and see how things were going out but you know she was quite surprising quite strong about it probably because you know she she's a war you know vietnam war and and stuff uh toughens you out i suppose for others their family's unique history can make conversations about cancer even more challenging that was the experience of vimbai who was diagnosed with a rare and particularly aggressive cancer in 2018 I was born and bred in Zimbabwe. I came to Europe um, to do my master's. When I grew up, we didn't know much. You know, like when a relative would get really ill that the hospital, you know, sent them away to just, you know, what we call palliative care. It's only when I was in UK and when I did nursing that I realized it, I realized, oh, yes, so my auntie, that auntie passed away with, that could have been cervical cancer. And then, you know, oh, yeah, that auntie was breast cancer. In Vimbai's family, as with many families in the UK, there was a stigma around illness. It wasn't talked about, not especially to children. We were not told what was happening. So we wouldn't even go to the funeral we wouldn't even know where the auntie was buried so we didn't talk about it vimbai eventually pursued a career in the healthcare sector and felt empowered to help address the culture of silence that surrounded other patients and i just fell with nursing because i enjoy talking to people helping them see them you know get better i became a nurse consultant and also I feel honored to have the opportunity to start a new service. Unfortunately, when I, my cancer came back 2014, I was then retired due to healthy reasons, but I then started working independently uh, using you know, digital methods, which at that time it was unheard of. When Vimbai's father was diagnosed with prostate cancer, she didn't find out until years after the fact. It was something that was hidden in the family, you see. So it's only when uh, they came here for my graduation, I realized my dad was frequently going to the toilet. That's when I forced him to go to the GP. And then he was told, oh, we've done this kind of test. You know, we think you've got prostate cancer. Vimbai, however, at this stage, was able to use her training to help with her father's care. He wasn't shocked, which made me think, wow, did he actually know about this? It was later secretly talking to my mom. My mom told me that, oh, yes, it's been two years. He has been receiving treatment, you know. So my mom didn't even know much about it. It's only me after that, that when he returned to Zimbabwe, you know, when I was now working in the cancer sector, I then managed to get more knowledge. So when I would visit him, I would take him for his consultations and I was able to, you know, to talk to the doctors. She felt it was her duty to help her father to the best of her abilities and, most importantly, to get him talking about his condition. I think I'm the one who then introduced that to open the conversation. 
when my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer, even making him open up how he was feeling, you know, the pain, you know, I see opening his bowels or even helping him empty his catheter bag. He was initially reluctant to allow himself to be vulnerable in front of his daughter. At first, my father didn't like it for me as a woman, as a daughter, to help him. But, you know, times goes by, he realized, actually, you know, my daughter is trained to do this. And actually, I would do that better than my brothers. And, you know, I would check with him, you know, sit down with him. And then, you know, by the time he passed away, we'd gone really close. Vimbai's own cancer diagnosis five years ago only served to deepen the need for an open dialogue around illness in her family circle. The most important thing for her is that this culture of secrecy is one that stops with her generation. She feels that if she can be open and honest about her own cancer journey with her children, then they should feel no need to conceal any health issues that they may encounter later in life. So, yeah, my auntie, um, she had ovarian cancer. So it's, it's just, yeah, there's cancer there, there's cancer there, and you just realize, oh, my God, we need to make our children aware to get checked and be aware that, you know, this is something they might have to go through as they live longer. For Wendy, who was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018, then a second time in 2019, this idea of cancer as something only to be discussed behind closed doors, if at all, was an experience she shared. She kept encountering people with so much anxiety around illness, specifically cancer, that not only were they not talking about it, they weren't getting themselves seen by a doctor, even if they needed to. This fear could sometimes mean that relatives and friends would rather let an illness go undiagnosed than find out they might have cancer, even if it was treatable. I've got one brother who's younger. Oh, no, he's not going to go because if I go, then they're going to find something. I've got a neighbour who's 54 years old. She's never had a mammogram done. I says, why? She says, I'm just scared. If I go, they're going to find something. It's better I don't know about it and continue in ignorance, basically. So you're finding the generation that grew up with, you know, the first generations, You, I have found that there are quite a few of them that have that same mental attitude towards illness. Wendy's more transparent approach to her diagnosis and the difficulties she faced was a position some of those closest to her couldn't even begin to comprehend. Some of them thought, there's something wrong with you. Why have you told people that you've got cancer? It's nobody's business. You shouldn't tell, you know, people about that. It's this, it's a shame. It's this shame thing that, you know, that comes with it. Thank God my family were very, very close. There was the one odd or two. I come from a very large family. So there was the odd one or two that was, you know, they'd look at you as if you are bloody crazy. Why would you? I don't need those people around me, whether they were neighbours, whether they were friends, it's their opinion. So, you know, at least I could leave some of them sort of a thinking differently about how they looked at, um, you know, that big C word. Wendy knew this behaviour didn't come from a place of ignorance. All of it stemmed from fear. I know why I had to be transparent with what was happening with me. 
and I just see fear with the ones who come out with stuff like that. I see fear. I saw them in the clinic, right? I saw women, black women in the clinic that decided they're not going to have treatment, they're not going to do this and that, and they'd come into the therapy rooms and they'd be talking, you know, you're crazy, why would you want to have that? And you can just see fear coming out of every pore of their body and the only way they can control it is by saying, I'm not going to have that because this, because that. Two of them I know that have died. One of them, when she told me, and she wasn't going to have it, she wasn't going to have it, and she started treatment, and then she stopped it. And from me talking to her, she went back that January to her oncologist and had a test done, and they said, sorry, the cancer has spread, and there's nothing we can do other than give you palliative care. And she was still in denial. And she didn't tell her husband literally weeks before she died that's when she told her husband can you believe it again because of this shame you know you don't talk about this and that's how deep it can and dangerous it can get and um she died but that all comes from a place and i speak about her but i speak about so many with that mentality and it comes from culture and it comes from fear, you know, and I'm hoping that it really will dissipate over, you know, over time because it's very, very dangerous. Black women don't need to be dying of, of certain cancers. Wendy and Vimbai now both discuss cancer openly and honestly with their children. Dad was a close book because he, he never, ever talked about anything to do with that because it's not your business. But um, for me, I I was open with my children. Some of my other two sisters are not like that with their children. I mean, they're, they're not children, they're adults. They're not like that. But I've always been open. I've always wanted, if my children ever had a problem, then to come to me. There were things that I was teaching my son I would have the discussions about checking himself, you know, for any lumps, bumps or anything down there. My daughters, you know, the same. Um, so anything they come to me with, in fact, sometimes too much information. <laughs> Across the United Kingdom, there are health inequities between ethnic minority and white groups. Research shows that whilst access to primary care health services is generally equitable, people from some ethnic minority groups are more likely to report poorer experiences of using health services than their white counterparts. So what are these barriers to accessing services? The exact roots of this inequality are difficult to identify, but evidence suggests a combination of factors, including language and communication, discrimination and geography. Elder minorities can have difficulty communicating in a healthcare context and need access to better translation services. It's also possible that they've experienced discrimination while accessing services in the past, which can make them more reluctant to do so in the future. Finally, these barriers can be exacerbated by location, particularly if the person in question is in a majority white area where there is likely to be a lack of specialist services pertaining to them. So what can be done? More research, 
better data and open dialogue between patients and clinicians with acknowledgement of the different backgrounds and value systems will help the health service to see where improvements need to be made and where money needs to be invested. It's by no means an easy problem to solve and what it requires is for our health service to directly address the diverse health needs of all groups. Not just medically, but by ensuring that any psychological or cultural barriers to accessing healthcare are addressed through proactive outreach, with doctors and nurses encouraging us patients to speak out more. Wherever you come from, whatever belief system you subscribe to, whoever you love and who you are as a person matters to your cancer team. The NHS is designed for everyone, and it's vital that you feel both seen and listened to throughout the course of your treatment. It's important to acknowledge some of the aspects of your life that might help or hinder you on your cancer journey, so that your team can find ways to best support you. And there are resources beyond the NHS. Our show notes include links to fantastic groups that are working within specific communities to help people access the highest quality of care. There is still work to be done to help make cancer care more varied and inclusive. There's a common expression in medicine that you should treat the patient and not the disease. Your individual values matter and should help form the foundation of your cancer treatment. On the next episode of Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast, our topic of discussion will be your new normal. Yeah, I definitely was concerned how I looked, how I was present, how I presented myself to the world and to my children, my family, because I didn't want them to see cancer. And Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast is an NHS podcast produced by What's the Story Sounds. It's hosted by me, Julia Bradbury. For more information on the topics discussed in today's episode, as well as links to additional resources, please check out our show notes. This series was created by the leading cancer specialists at Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital and their patients, whose personal testimony you'll hear on this and every other episode of the podcast. We're beyond grateful for their contributions. Brian, Chi, Jad, Serdar, Vimbai and Wendy were the peers who featured on this episode. This episode was produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. Executive producers are Daryl Brown, Sophie Ellis, Stephanie Fraser, Naomi Good, Zainab Noor, Jessica Nyman and Julia Tadeo. Special thanks to Placida Ojinaka, Abiola Coca, Evan Russell and Guy's Cancer Charity.